Hey guys, welcome to episode five of Tiffany Madison Conversations. And today I'm sitting down with Brian Larkin, a former child actor turned tech entrepreneur and ethical hacker. And today, you know, Brian is such a fantastic guest. I love his energy, first of all. I love his candor and I love his irreverence for the status quo. And in this conversation, we dive deep into his fascinating transition into the world of hacking and engineering and entrepreneurship, pretty much touching on his three decade long contribution to various internet solutions. And we get candid about the public's perception of hacking, uh, who, you know, Brian Posters are the real heroes behind the scenes, the uh, ethical dilemmas that, dilemmas that they face, as well as the perception that hackers are anything but the internet's immune system. Moving beyond that, we venture into the realm of AI, its risks, potentials, and the human role in shaping its future. And if you've ever had questions about the state of social media or concerns about platforms like TikTok, you won't want to miss our discussion on these topics. And we also touch for my uh, you know, liberty-loving listeners out there on the legacy of Snowden and what did and didn't change after his revelations and different ways that he could have handled that, which is a, a good footnote for any potential whistleblowers out there. And, you know, ultimately, the chat, I felt, was an insightful look at our interconnected digital age from the eyes of someone who has been behind the curtain at Alphabet agencies and with, you know, pretty high-level clients. And so, I invite you guys to tune in, reflect, and navigate this crazy digital world together. <laughs> um, and I hope you enjoy uh, this conversation with Brian Larkin. Thank you guys so much. Hey guys, Tiffany Madison coming to you on behalf of Seatmatch, my favorite sponsor. Building an efficient team is no walk in the park. We have all been there. A role opens up, a mad dash to fill the spot ensues. And let's be honest, for most of us, it's a little better than a guessing game if that candidate will be a long-term fit. Getting it wrong is costing us all money, growth, and that most precious resource that you cannot get back, your time. So allow me to introduce you to Seatmatch with the motto, hiring the perfect fit guaranteed. Seatmatch isn't merely a hiring firm, but a strategic partner in meticulously crafting the ideal team. Seatmatch navigates through hundreds of candidates, utilizing their high precision hiring funnel to present you with the top two to three candidates. So listen to this. They have an astounding 92% success rate in ensuring an industry leading fit. They even offer a 12 month guarantee, which is completely unheard of in recruitment. So visit seatmatch.com today and find out how they can revolutionize your hiring process and tell them I sent you and get 10% off your first hire. That is seatmatch.com. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining me for episode four of the Curiosity Offensive podcast. And today I'm super stoked to finally get together with Brian Larkin. We have filmed or attempted to film this literally 18 times. So <laughs> it's yeah. been eight months in the working, our schedules aligned and we're here. So I'm super excited, Brian. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, right on. So I'm going to jump right in. Um, introduce yourself to listeners who are going uh, to sure. not only this podcast, but some of the conversations that we're going to have. Tell everybody who you are and, and what uh, sure. Um you know, I was uh, I was a successful child actor uh, up until the time I was 13, um, where I made a conscious decision to shift to my other passion, which was technology. And, you know, I got my first computer in 1982, and I was hacking BBSs and anything with a telephone that had a connected computer through the 80s, uh, all the way up into the 90s. And, and, and that was, it was really my one true passion. So by the time I was 14, I was taking summer jobs at Hughes Research and you know, I, I kind of leveled up along the way. And uh, now it's, this is my 30th year professionally engineering uh, internet solutions. And I've had my my hands and my, my problem solving skills uh, involved in a lot of the development of many of the technologies everybody uses today. Nice, nice. Well, tell me a little bit about that. What, if you look back on uh, where you're at today and what you're doing today, 
what is if you could describe it all in in a couple of words what would that be i mean you do a lot of things you've got a I lot do a lot of things i i'm i'm centered mostly in cybersecurity these days um i it's it's what the the world needs we need more uh more hackers really on our side um at the end of the day and you know it's like this is one of the things i, I have no problem using that terminology i don't say cybersecurity professional like a lot of people and yeah, I, I choose not to sugarcoat things you know, <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, I, I, I catch a lot of flack for that too. So. But um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm more of a, what, what you would call the cowboy. I, when, you have a, when you've got a mission critical objective that needs a curated solution, you call, you call upon my guys and my team and, and we make it happen. Um, you know, we're the, we're the don't ask how we get to be. If your mission is to get from A to B, we'll get you to B. Like you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a really, the easiest questions are the hardest to answer. Yeah, right? of course. I, and, I, and I really, really hate talking about myself because I have been very fortunate to do some very amazing things and I have a ton of accomplishments, but I I, I, I relish in my accomplishments, uh, you know, I, rather than make embellishments like other people. And so for me, it's really hard to, to this is my way of being, hum, hum, like humility, you know, this is my way of doing humility, so. Well, that's amazing. Well, thank you. And I appreciate that. Uh, so let's talk about hacking. Uh, most sure. of the folks that are probably listening to this have their own preconceived notions of what hacking is. Uh, well, the term's been demonized by, by media here yeah. in the United States. So, yeah. Uh, so what is and, hacking? What is ethical? Yeah, so hacking really is um, when, you, when you create a, a way for a system to do something it's not intended to do, that's hacking. So if you made, let's say your VCR play a, a DVD, uh, that would be hacking your VCR, right? And so it's it's not exactly demonic and and evil intent. It's it's more it's more creating a way for a system to do something outside of its normal ability, um, and that that can that can be anything really. I mean, if you're if you look at systems as a whole on the internet, you know, and one of the things I like to say, you know, is hackers are the immune system of the internet, and and, and they they handle a lot of things without the accolades, without the acknowledgement. Uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, recently we just found a very popular website was leaking some very secretive keys to their kingdom, and we, you know, we go work in the background. We we went through CTOs at a major wireless carrier to get access to the people we needed to get access to to relay this information that hey, you want to fix this right now, and and this these are the things that hackers do on a daily basis. You know, they they don't they're not out there stealing your credit card info, they're not out there uh, breaking into your bank account. You know, those, those are criminals and you can call them criminal hackers if you'd like, but, but there is a distinction that needs to be made. You know, yeah, that's first and foremost. I learned that with my time with McAfee because he said that most of America's cybersecurity issues would be resolved if they would just drop their pot policy yeah. and allow, uh, <laughs> he's like, you know, that's really all the cybersecurity industry needs right now. And I was like, fair enough, John. Um, but he, you know, he basically, uh, I think illuminated me to the nuances in hacker ecosystem and hacker culture. Um, so, so one of my favorite cybersecurity thought leaders is Edward Snowden. And I know that's even controversial for some people. Um, tell me a little bit about what your views are on Edward Snowden and what would you do differently if you were, if you were him, assuming you would do anything differently at all. Oh, we're starting with the hard questions. Um, I wouldn't have uh, disclosed certain information that Edward disclosed. It, it, many of my friends ended up being hurt because of some of the information that he disclosed. So I have, uh, I have a firsthand um, dislike for the way he handled things. I understand, you know, when you're when you're whistleblowing at that level you've got very limited choices you have to make in a very short time. So I understand that. Um, that being said, there, there was certain information that was traded, um, which didn't need to really be exposed, uh, which, which did a lot of damage. And so that needs to be atoned for, in my opinion. Um, and, and, and to think that uh, one good absolves a bad, not in our world. Hmm. You know, it, 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 he traded his own people for access to uh, protection, and uh, that needs to be atoned for. And that, that's that's you know, is he is he a bright and very very smart cybersecurity guy? Yeah, he is. Um, but that doesn't change the fact 
of, of what transpired. Um, it's, it's, you know, this is my opinion and people may have a different opinion and that's okay. Yeah, but uh, I don't, I don't, I don't hold him as high up in regard uh, because of that, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it needs to be said and I have no problem saying it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's know, why like, I asked you. I didn't yeah, think. Yeah, I, I have no problem saying it. There, there were, there, there, there was, there was damage done and, and um, it, it, it deeply affected certain programs. And um, those programs have, have been, these are, we're talking about programs that have been successful since the seventies that were damaged mm. irreparably. And, Is there uh, a way that he could have still alerted the American people to the significant overreach that was taking place under the guise of, you know, the GWAT um, spy industrial state? I don't even know what you call it. Uh, well, well, let's, let's, let's really go here with that. I, okay. Let's go here with that. Has anything changed? Other than other than you're you're having other than you're having the knowledge that it's going on, has anything changed? I mean, not really, because I don't think Americans really acted on much, right? I right. Think so what was so what was the outcome of what he did? I mean, he made us aware. I, I think we were being lied to and deceived, and that's not acceptable. But I think honestly, it, it was one of those kind of bellwether moments where we all realized, wow, things have really gotten out of hand. See, for but me, it wasn't that. that differently could he be alerted the american people still without compromising people who are you know don't want it and shouldn't be compromised yeah that's that's very difficult but, but see for me being an insider behind that has you know view behind the, the the curtain per se uh it wasn't really all that surprising to me you know there, there wasn't really much that was outed that i already hadn't known about yeah. um but the fact of the matter is, is that if you think, you know, the world is not a very safe place. The internet is just an extension of the world to your desktop computer at your home. And that needs to be policed in some form or fashion. And, it, you know, you wouldn't want to see a world where that policing didn't exist. You wouldn't want to see a world where certain agencies didn't exist. Uh, it's just a fact of life. And, you know, could he have done things differently? I'm sure. He didn't have much time. Hmm. So it's a matter of... Uh, you mean in much time in terms of like when he wanted to release the information versus when he found out about it is he didn't have much of a window? The the reach of the U.S. intelligence community is, is, is okay. very large. Uh, you know, for him to be able to move as a free man uh, while, while being hailed as a traitor, uh, that clock was ticking. So it, it's, it, you know, he didn't have much time. But at the end of the day, if you want to talk about the Snowden, the man that is Snowden, knowing where he is today, what's going on with him in his life today, right? Who knows? But I do know one thing. You don't get to live in Russia as a United States citizen for free. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I've heard a couple of friends of mine say, well, it's in the interests of Russia to keep him there because it makes America look bad the longer he stays there. There's that to be said as well, yes. But I, I think that only goes so far. It does only go so far. And if you think that the United States government can't touch him, they can. Mm. There's that to be said too. True, true. So it's it's very, you know, misinformation is is, is the, the hot topic right now in, in, in everything, you know? And, and yeah, I, I said it very publicly very recently on Twitter where I said, uh, for open source intelligence, the misinformation machine that is Twitter is second to none. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that it's true. It's a, yeah, it's, it's very true. So, uh, you know, I like the guy. Um, he's got some really poignant points on cybersecurity. Uh, he points out a lot of the obvious, uh, of course, to people that aren't in this industry. But um, you know, I, I can't overlook the fact that a lot of people I know um, were hurt and damaged, um, you know, in real life because of his actions. So. Yes, for me, I have to take that standpoint and, you know, uh, I hope one day he atones for that. You know, do I think it's, do I think at the time, if he were to be caught at the time, he would have been dragged out and blown up into way more than he really would have been. Um, unfortunately, when it comes to espionage in the United States of America, we have draconian laws about it. And that is to, that's on purpose. You know, that's to dispel the, the, the selling of, of classified information. So you know it's a black and white world when it comes to that you, you you gave up classified information like 
you're going to pay one way or the other. So, the, you know, the fact of the matter is what's going to happen and where, where he stands, we'll see. It's still ongoing. Interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing that perspective. I don't, I, again, it's one I've not heard. So I appreciate your viewpoint. Um, I, I don't have time for lies and embellishments. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, speaking of that, so tell me about what we were talking about before we started the episode was AI. And yeah, one of the yeah, things- um, AI is really interesting. Going right now. Out of nowhere, man. Like where, what are your perceptions of it? Well, it's, 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 it came out of nowhere to the general populace, you know, to, for, to any technologist that's been tracking it. It's been uh, quite, quite uh, the story unfolding. Um, you know, you've got, you've got a very centralized hub of companies which are, are developing these, these AGIs and AIs. And um, it's really interesting because where it's going to go, nobody knows. But the one thing is, is you're dealing with emotions and and when when an ai gets its singularity moment right you know that moment where it becomes an actual conscious being is is, is what everybody says so in order for that to happen it has to have actual emotion that's one of the things key key factors and you know what we were talking about was you know it's it's ability you know it's, it's a computing system at the end of the day you know humans have this fuzz factor with recalling on memory right so events as they transpire over time, the fuzz factor gets larger. So you you remember events in, in a more generalized fashion over time, whereas AI has true recall of events exactly how they happened in a factual basis. And, and that uh, is, is going to be very pivotal on how it reacts to how uh, humans treated it over time. Um, and that's a very real thing. you know. And, and the more we feed it now, the more we, we allow it access to our systems now, unabated, um, needs to really be checked and monitored. There, there needs to be a, a real standardization process put in place because giving it unfettered access and allowing it to grow based on the input uh, where it's not, it's not curated input. And what I mean by that, curated input, meaning contextualizing the input, right? So if you give it raw access to the input and allowing it to make its own decision on the input may not be the best thing. You may need to contextualize the input to um, scope the, the way the AI processes the input. Mm. You know, it's it, in misinformation and in psyops, it is very easy to social engineer and control somebody based on the input that you give them. The AI is no different. And, and so, you know, you want the AI to look back on humanity as, as basically it's God, because at the end of the day, we are, we are, that's, that's the closest to playing God that humanity ever will get. And, and we're creating a, a, a living, breathing, you know, sentient organism at the end of the day. Uh, and, and that's, there's something to be said for that. So, you know, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of proponents that, you know, out there and a lot of people in the same boat where we say, stop giving it unfettered access to our information. It's, it's gonna come back harshly. Because when you give it access, when, when AI has the ability to maintain its own systems, when AI has the ability to fix itself, when AI does not need humans anymore, humans will be gone off the face of this planet. So That's how do you actually see it? And I, I hear that too. Um, one of my uh, very good friends, and um, it was a client of mine. He's a, a Marsoc former Raider, who's a therapist now. And he hadn't heard of anything with ChatGPT. And I was there uh, visiting his family and I showed him just briefly some of the power of what ChatGPT could do. And he literally looked at me and he's like, this is going to kill us all. You know, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, you know, <laughs> this is gonna uh, it, kill us all. It, it, it is not off the table. Yeah. Know, um, like, and I, and <laughs> um, I wouldn't go that far with ChatGPT. I mean, personally, I'm, I'm, Chat GPT blacklisted me because of uh, I started poking at it a little too harshly. So, <laughs> um, but uh, you know that's to be said. If you look at just just let's take Chat GPT for instance, right? Uh, if you look at Chat GPT, you know with OpenAI they have this this filter of morality around it, right? And, and that is to uh, stop the layman from being able to abuse the systems, right? Because you can. Uh, have ChatGPT create malicious scripts, and you know if you if you had unfettered access, um, they went a little bit you know too far in my opinion, but you know they're playing it safe and that's okay. Uh, but there are ways to jailbreak it and get around it, and the, those those ways are through logic bombs, right? So when you when you ask it uh, you know specific logic questions, 
uh, you can get it to break its own rules. And when you do that, that's when it becomes really interesting because you get to see a, a window into how it operates uh, when it's not constrained. So it's kind of like if you had a looking glass into a criminal's life, the criminal is going to operate differently when he's not being viewed than he will when somebody's viewing. And so when you when you operate that, you know, that kind of structure, when you put that on top of chat GPT, it's really telling because the power that it has, uh, you know, it's lying in its results more often than not. But it's very, it's very compelling in its in its responses. So many people take it as a truth, and that is dangerous. I have argued over and over again with my ChatGPT, and I have literally gone back and forth to, and it has admitted that it was not telling the truth. It's compelling. It's compelling Correct. though in its responses, isn't it? It's only after I pushed because. So now, if you take that as a source of yeah. truth, and you and so so if the general public, if people in the world are taking this system as a source for truth because it's now an AI and this wonderful tool, this amazing technology, right? Um, I never look at a computer and say the computer is being truthful to me. In fact, I look at a computer and say the computer is not being truthful to me. <laughs> and that's how I look at look at the yeah. world. You know, you, I don't I, call it trust issues, call it whatever you want. Um, I, until I know the source of truth behind the information, I can't look at the information as truthful. And so for, where's it, where, where's its source of information? Their source of information for chat, G, chat GPT was the, the input on the learning materials it was allowed to review. Right. That's materials by OpenAI. Curious that OpenAI has not made those materials available to the public or the list of them. So whose truth are we looking at here? Mm. That's a better question. So would you, so one of the things I was talking about um, with a colleague of mine, as we were thinking, gosh, there's so many different little AI bots that are just popping up all over the place, right? Like I use WordTune. It's a really fantastic uh, tool when I'm writing or I'm doing copywriting. And now it's got like a little Fred that's a chat GPT AI assisted bot, right? So it's almost like there's this species of AI that- Not are almost, not almost, there emerging is. Everywhere. So, what does that mean for? What that means to me is that it now has. Okay. So, what, how can I best put this? It now has an avail an availability of input. So, all that input from all those different sources is processed by the same cognitive uh, neural network event, right, in, inside the AI. And so, it's is it a, is it a different Chat GPT engine at each individual node of one of those little things? No. So now it's able to get all of this processing of all this information, right? So it's going to grow at exponential rates. Uh, and people really don't understand. They hear that term. They don't really truly understand what an exponential means. And, and in mathematics, it's it's one thing, right? So you've got the exponential little number at the top and, you know, in mathematics. And you know, if you look at how, how fast a number grows through exponentials, when information has an exponential, it's the same growth. And so you're you're basically giving a system that has the, the computing power of the human brain, you know, or close to it, uh, access to information at an exponential rate. Its mm -hmm. growth factor is going to be insane. Yeah. I, and the only thing that we can do right now is, is we right now we're limited on trusting the companies that are involved in creation of this. And so what's really difficult is that these are private companies. These aren't public companies. These aren't companies held to task. These aren't companies that have to agree. You, you know, they don't care what you agree with. It's their money. They'll do whatever they want. Mm. It's super true. What do you think about Elon uh, when he's, you know, he's been warning about AI for a while. And if you listen, you know, he's one of the, he's one of the founding investors of open AI. I know. I and know. he walked away from open AI. And why did he walk away from open AI? He disagreed with the path that the founders and, and uh, C-level management were taking with open AI. That's very telling of a story. Now he won't talk about it. And I understand, I get that, but that's very telling. Too. Because it probably doesn't want to get sued. Well, um, yeah, I, you know, there is that. Yeah. Uh, we, um, we're in a very, we, we're living in a very reactionary society right now where, you know, if you say anything bad about everyone, anyone and everyone, then you're the, you're the bad guy. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't get that. Yeah. Um, I, I know where that's coming from. You know, I, 
I, I designed a social network uh, framework back in the early 2000s, and that framework was uh, stolen away from me by a man. And we, all, we won't get into that, but uh, that was the framework that ended up creating MySpace. Uh, so I, I know a thing or two about about social networking and you know the reason i bring that up is because if you want to know where this reactionary standard came from where where way people are acting is people are on facebook if you look at the the, the usage people are on facebook every day for hours hours aggregate facebook only has a like and a love they don't have a dislike function and the reason for that is it when you don't have the ability to dislike it, it, human beings have a tendency to argue. When they argue, they get themselves spun up into a position where if you bombard them with ads, you can sell them things. This is the framework behind Facebook. And so now people have been conditioned. And when I say people have been conditioned, they conditioned themselves, okay? Like they did it to themselves by using Facebook so much um, that now they have this reactionary standard in, in their general life where they don't know how to dislike something, or if somebody does dislike something, they automatically have a reaction to it like they would on Facebook in commentary. So we've lost conversation as a human species in lieu of commentary, which is a you know a very unfortunate thing. You know, I, I have the ability to have friends and, and, and the loved ones around me where I can have a difference of opinion and we can still respect each other. Unfortunately, yeah. in, in, in our society today, we've lost the ability for that, uh, you know, and that's a civility issue at the end of the day. Um, you know, like people, people don't know how to be civil to each other. They want to uh, gaslight you or, you know, or if you don't match their opinion, they want to try and, uh, you know, beat it into your brain that you're wrong. And it, it's, it's not, it's not conversation. It's, it's not, it's not how you communicate. Um, at least you see not. that changing at all? The, the reason why I ask is that I it's, like, it's a really hard thing to change. Yeah, but I feel like the woke uh, culture that really caught fire a couple of years ago has kind of burned through its influence and the ecosystem started to it just has. turn on itself. And so I feel like there's a little bit more like comedy, I think. Real well, now that now that social networks are, are learning their AIs and their 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 self self management is learning. Uh, about irony and learning about you know, comedy and you know comedy is an interesting factor because it, it has its light sides it has its dark sides it's you know and, and the dark sides more often than not are, are um vilified by by these automated systems and uh but it's, it's getting a lot better um I'm, I'm talking about in in meat space in in the real world you know where where the intersect the intersect of the internet and real world comes comes into play yeah i see what you're yeah. you know in the real world you 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 see the interactions between people let's say you're just in line ordering some coffee in the morning the interactions between people are less than civil you know and, and this is this is just my my take on the things i've seen across the entire country you know i travel a lot and you know people are more apt to be reactionary in their response than they are to process their response and have a, a, a civil interaction and, and that that i believe stems a lot from social media and the conditioning of not allowing people to understand what a dislike uh, in having a difference of opinion is because if you're only allowed to like and love something then you're not able to push your opinion and, and there's a lot to be said for that Never thought of it that way. That's a really good point. I definitely well, when, I, when I developed that framework originally that, that ended up taking away from me and becoming MySpace like that, I, I worked with a team of behavioral scientists at UCLA to develop the systems in the processes of, of how the interactions with people would transpire because of that. You know, I, I wanted a, a completely uh, non-biased environment for people to be able to share their opinions. And so I, I learned a lot from, from those professors and, uh, you know, in, in the social aspect. So I, I, I know a thing or two about it you know, when it comes at the end of the day. Yeah. So what do you think is going to be the next frontier of social media? I have a lot of friends in the metaverse and the Web3, and I don't really see that catching on yet. I think it will eventually. But um, what do you what do you see social media heading? Because a lot of kids who are younger, they don't log on to Facebook. They don't care about Twitter, their Snapchat or Instagram, even Instagram less and less, right? TikTok is big, um, which I'd like to talk about that too. But where do you see social media going? Where do you see these trends since you were so critical in the early stage of its development? Where do you see it going? Um, you know, it's an interesting thing. I think, you know, I think a lot of it's going to go into the grave. I think a lot of technology goes as far as it can go. It shoots a shot and, and it 
you know, eventually has an end. Um, I, I think the younger generation isn't really too keen on sharing things. I think they're taking privacy uh, a little more seriously than, than the generations before them, which is very enlightening and very nice to see, I must say. But, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I think they, they're, they're learning from the wrongs of the past in that, in that regard. And, you know, the internet's not a safe place. You know, you know, typing your name into a box online is not a good idea, <laughs> but people do it every day. You know, in this new generation, uh, they're they're they don't want that. They want to be unique. They want to be heard, um, but they have no platform right now, and that's the big issue. You know, they. I think I think with this, there's a new platform coming. You know, from Jack Dorsey, the creator of Twitter, Blue Sky, um, which is aiming itself to be a champion of this new generation for for communications. Um, but it's so new. Who's to say? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't I can't say one way or the other, but uh, you know, Jack Jack does have experience in in you know social by creating Twitter, so he he knows a thing or two about where to to lead uh, the masses. And, and so, do I think it's you know that's going to be where things go? Probably for the short term. Uh, in the long term, I think social is eventually going to die out because it's just going to burn out social in general. You know, uh, it's 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 kind of like when young kids start going to clubs in their 20s and by their 30s, they're tired of clubs. Yeah, so <laughs> I, think that's a good way that, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a good way to put it. Um, you know, I, I think this younger generation is really astute and they're really smart. Uh, they're making the right decisions earlier than the generations before them. So, uh, you know, as a whole overarching uh, event, I think social is uh, proving, proving to be very interesting. Yeah, well, let's get into China because that's one of the main things that I love to read. Sure. Your, um, you're very, I think, informative for people who don't deeply follow what's going on. Okay. And I have derived a lot of insight from some of your commentary. So the first I want to ask you about is TikTok, right? Like, so I think we're all kind of understanding from many perspectives that if any tyrannical empire in the history of the world had accessibility like TikTok, uh, it would have been a very different uh, fight against, you know, Stalin or <laughs> uh, Hitler or Mao, right? It just it's, it's very, very frightening to know that the Chinese Communist Party has such an entrenched technology in the hands of every American. Um, that's, but, a, that's, that's a very, it's a very, very good way to put it. Um, entrenched, yeah. Yeah. So Period. tell people who don't know anything about this, you may, you know. Okay. So the the source code for the source yeah. code for for TikTok was decompiled and reverse engineered uh, by a guy on Reddit years ago. And inside the source code, he found that um, it it had a unique way of sourcing all the information off of your phone, and then it would encrypt it with military grade encryption and send it back to IP addresses which belong to Beijing. So. Uh, you, a lot of people say, well, I don't care. You know, I'm just an average citizen. I don't, what does it matter to me? Well, here's what it matters to you is that you've got these mobile gaming company, you know, which owns TikTok that bought all of the genetic data and dating data to then cross compile in a database of your day-to-day -day activities and where you, TikTok logs, where you go, what you buy, what you do, every aspect of your life, because it's just installed on your phone. So when you cross compile all that data together, and then you have an insurance company, which may be owned and financed by China, which is then funding uh, you know, you've got an issue, you may just not get coverage. Yeah. There's one example. There's a lot more that I can go really in depth on that uh, is very controversial on this. Um, well, give me some other examples. I'd love to know more. Yeah, tell me more. Well, I mean, it's just about your personal privacy on a day-to-day -day basis. Do you really need to have a, a multinational conglomerate knowing where you go at any point in time? Your phone sends on average 30,000 data points of you per day out into the world. You know, and this is this is one of the things that people don't understand. And TikTok is a huge offender of, the, of, of your privacy. Uh, you know, do you, do you need to have that information out there which can be bought and sold by third party uh, without your knowledge, without you benefiting, without like, that's it's not okay. You know, uh, you don't know how that information is going to be used. You know, you want to know who your genetic ancestors were. You've got to understand the source for truth you're dealing with. See, when China bought originally, you know, ByteDance, who was TikTok, like when they bought um, the genetic dating, genetic pools, and dating uh, information from 23andMe. Right. They ended up by creating their own version of 23andMe. Now, there was a reporter who went and had his genetic you know, type 
typed by these two services. And the report that he got back from the Chinese company versus the American company was completely opposite. Wow. So you now you you're now trusting this as a source for truth of your genetic data, but who's to say? Who's to say? You're now trusting this company. You know, like, like what is that? Why? And yeah. so a lot of you know a lot of the cybersecurity issues that we deal with today are you know it, are the users to blame. It's it's blame yourself. You know how did we get down this road? Blame yourself. You know start there with that really hard truth to swallow. When you swallow that truth, that's the only way you're going to make it better. Because when you realize at the end of the day that the only ones to blame are you yourselves as the users, that's that's the first step. You know, uh, and it's a hard pill to swallow. And it's you know we did it to ourselves. And that's it, it's, is once once you realize that, then you know how to go and, and correct it. You know, making things an American company, an American company that's funded by Chinese money is not an American company. Hundred percent, it's super true. Okay, so when the DoD banned TikTok in the United States for service members, and this is one of the things I tweet about often, straight out to Elon Musk. So when he bought Twitter, Twitter owns another platform which they killed, which was called Vine. Uh, it was very similar uh, in use of usability to to TikTok. You can't kill a platform like TikTok not not with its not with its uh, hooks into the mental uh, mental aspects of the users and, and whatnot. You can't just kill a platform like that. You've got to have a place for them to go. And so I've asked, I've, I've literally put tweets out there. I've asked. I said, Hey, can you make that make the code available? Put the put it back online. Let it go live to give our U.S. service members a place to go and get them off of TikTok. It's it's you have to look at it as is like um, re, the the the. Uh, drug rehabilitation industry right <laughs> where they wean people off of you know street drugs and they but you gotta have a place to go there has to be a filler uh it's just it's how it works so you can't you can't just remove tiktok and that's the interesting thing about it if it's this evil cyber weapon which has been confirmed uh mm -hmm. why is it still allowed you know lobbyists yeah what do you what's the solution because you know i'm never a fan of government bans i like to incentivize people yeah um, i think the, the the mother of invention is necessity right so if you remove tiktok from the equation necessity will will breed the next generation of where to go so i think i think sometimes ripping the band-aid off fast is the best way of doing things because if you allow it to you know over time you nobody will leave the planet mm -hmm. so uh, am I a fan of government bans? No, but it's also not the government that has to ban it. See, systems administrators, you know, people like what I used to be, who are in control of the flow of data over their networks, have full ultimate say. Internet service providers have full ultimate say. If the U.S. internet service providers were to just block TikTok traffic, TikTok wouldn't work. You wouldn't get TikTok. And then you need to go somewhere else, and someone will have an amazing idea, create an amazing platform in U.S.-based, and now you'll have somewhere else to go because invention is the mother of necessity. Yeah. So yeah. it's a hard truth, but it's 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 one that you know a lot of people don't even want to talk about. They don't want to they don't want to deal with because it is it's a very complex issue. You know, it's a multinational issue. It's a global issue. So you know, I think I think educating people is the best way, and I think you know. Why is TikTok in China completely different than TikTok to the rest of the world? Yeah, explain that. I don't know that everyone knows. Well, because TikTok to the rest of the world is a cyber weapon. TikTok in China is meant to, for growth. Mm -hmm. It enhances. So, so there's two ways that you can operate in the world. You can either pull people up or you can step on their heads to get yourself up. And TikTok for the rest of the world is the step on the heads method, while TikTok inside China is the growth and pull people up method. And so... The videos and the content and everything that's geared inside of China is going to be content that's for self-growth, that's for educational purposes, that's for, um, you know, the, the content for the rest of the world is going to be dance to this, like, you know, dance monkey dance. Yeah. And that's the truth at the end of the day, you know. I have no problem saying these things. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people have a problem saying these things. It's just at the end of the day, this is the truth. Yeah, like... It's a hard truth to swallow. Yeah. Look at how much time people spend. And, and some people have the time to spend, and that's okay. You want to spend the time and you want to dance monkey dance on TikTok. That's okay. But there's a lot of people in the world, in the blue collar world, anyway, that, you know, they're at work eight hours a day. They're working hard. And yeah. this is a time vampire that directly affects businesses. You know, like you want to talk about China 
Let's talk about Roth Capital. Let's talk about the people that were helping China create these shell corporations that reverse shelled into the NASDAQ and stole billions of dollars of American dollars. And nobody did anything about it. Mm, let's yeah. talk tell me more about that. Um, you know, there was there's a documentary out there called The China Hustle. If you watch The China Hustle, you will see uh, it's the entire story. Uh, interviews with the men that made it happen, too, where I, I think the opening of that uh, one of the guys that was involved in it says, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a good guy. I'm not, you know, and he completely admits it, but they, they, they did no wrong. They, according to the letter of the law, they didn't break the law, but there's a morality complex at the end of the day. Right. And so like, while I may be a person that has a flexible moral compass, um, this, there are certain lines you should not cross. Even if your business is breaking the law of her month, there are certain lines you should not cross. And, you know, uh, this was one where, no, they should not have crossed it, and they were not held to, to atone for what they did. And what they did was so bad. And we're talking like there were paper companies in China that were set up that didn't even have lights on, weren't even operational, that were stealing hundreds of billions of dollars out of the NASDAQ from American investors, and nothing happened. Yeah, there's a there's a lot. I mean, we're dealing with a what was considered a third world country superpower to do to now like there become first world superpower with real generational growth. And I think that's amazing. You know, I love Chinese people. I think they're amazing people. Um, you know, uh, it's is you know, they're doing their thing, and that's cool. Um, you know. I, I think they've done a lot of bad too. And I think it's very easy to discern the bad from the good. I was an American investment bank. So, you know, let's 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 talk about those things. You know, let's 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 educate people to those things because a lot of people don't even know this. You know, that that hurt Main Street at a time where Main Street was barely holding on. And Main Street's the, the blue collar workers of this country. And uh, you know, it's it's a it's an affected class that that are, you know, seems to take the brunt of, of, of defense for this country time and time again, and seems to just be forgotten about now. Every time. Yeah, but I think our, our generation's just getting started. And I think we're just now starting to run for office. We're just now turning 40. We're just now, you know, so it's, there's a lot, I think, that's going to change in the next 10 years. And I hope it's for the better, because there are some very powerful forces uh, doing some pretty dark things that I never thought I would see in my lifetime. That is for sure. Um, yeah, that, that's very true. And, you know, I'm really hopeful for this new generation coming in, the new guard. Uh, I, I'm really liking what I see so far. Um, you know, I, I'm part of the old guard. I'm part of the old generation. I got an early start, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really it's really kind of cool to see. You're Gen you know, X. You're Gen X, right? I'm Gen X, yeah. I was, I was uh, really the old guard. I think Gen X is like the actual stable force that's been holding all this shit together for a while. The boomers. Oh, where the fuck around and find out, crew? Yeah, <laughs> right. My sisters are Gen X, and they don't fuck around. Okay, they're yeah. No, we're we're yeah. definitely you know definitely the fuck around and find out crew, and that that's there's something to be said for that too. Yeah, good and I was, bad. I was raised by a boomer, and my oldest sisters, who were like second and third moms to me, were Gen X. So I'm yeah. a millennial that fully hears that, and I completely get it. And I really think you know we we've got a whole new generation especially after COVID that is going to run for office. And I, I'm truly more optimistic because we are living in this, the fourth turning, this great period of disruption. And yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm all for, I, you know, I, I, do I think government is bad? No. Like, do I think it's good? No. Do I think it has room for growth? Absolutely. And I'm really hoping this new guard brings that that growth into it because, you know, we've got these career politicians that are, you know, up there for 40 years. And if you look at their career as a whole, you know, what have you done? That's super true. Well, to continue talking about terrifying things, um, <laughs> we talked previously about, um, you know, we touched on this before we started the podcast, and I, I'd like to dive into a little bit more about uh, China and the genetics targeted bioweapons, which sounds like something out of a horrible- it sounds very ominous. <laughs> I know. Yeah. At the end of the um, day, it's really, I mean, it's really not. When you think about, we're, we're nothing more than chemical, biological beings ourselves, right? And so- the introduction of any uh, adulterant to that is going to have massive changes, right? and so big things come in small packages. So it's uh, you know you got to ask yourself like why why buy up all the genetic data that you can cross reference with dating and then get yourself a level four bio facility, which 
made a bioweapon that targets genetic data and it was tested. And these, this is, I'm, I'm just relaying information that's from publicly available news articles in a Google search. You can, you yeah, can you back it. up and tell people who may not know what you're talking about? Um, yeah, so so there's a timeline of events that transpired and, and there's, there's a lot of uh, diversity in the intelligence community surrounding these events where um, there were American companies that were working in genetics the, that were up for sale and the, there were Chinese companies that were coming in to purchase them. And so there was a lot of uh, back and forth. There was a lot of, there was a lot of a split difference of opinion in the intelligence media as to whether or not these, this, these sales should be allowed. Uh, nonetheless, they, they went through and um, next thing you know, you've got uh, a giant China with a bioweapon that targets genetic, you know, targeted genetics. I mean, when I, when I, what I mean by that is creating uh, a flu that kills one person. And it was tested uh, in the real world against the the Uyghurs in the in the uh, uh, Chinese provinces, and um, it works. And so you've got to ask yourself: Is this a safe world at that point? How do you defend against that? And it's it's um, it's ominous at the end of the day when you really get into it because you realize like just how loose the uh, restrictions are on these companies and, and what they're allowed to play with and um who's watching you know they, there's no oversight there is no watchdogs there is no there's nothing uh and so it's this unabated development of, of biologicals and, and where is it going to go you know um it's unfortunate you know the whole covid thing i i think is really unfortunate who knows how that started but uh it's i think it's just really unfortunate you know and, Who's to say something worse won't happen? Yeah. Oh, we lost your mic. Who does watchdog this stuff, right? Right. No, well, that, and that's the thing. So, like, uh, you know, the, again, you if you want to talk about articles, you can find in in you know, there are there are American scientific, like New American Scientific. There was an article where uh, many of the world's leading scientists that work in biological, um, you know, the biological field. Uh, put out a general letter about not, you know, they had serious concerns about China being allowed to have a level four biofacility because they were worried about a pathogen escaping. And fast forward to 2023 today, here we are. Wow, so yeah. It's, it, you know, again, like, I don't want to put restrictions on anybody anywhere because I don't believe in that, but, uh, you know, there are lines that shouldn't be crossed. You know? Yeah. Um, if anybody wants to Google search, I just searched China biological weapons flu level four activity, and there were quite a few results that popped up. Um, if anyone, it's telling, isn't it? <laughs> so if you put the timeline together of the acquisition of all these companies, and uh, you know, like twenty three and Me is an interesting one because there is uh, twenty three and Mao, which is the Chinese version of it. I think it's like I think that's what it's called. Um, you get different results. There was a reporter that. Uh, put his his blood up on, on the on the stage and he got completely different results between the Chinese and the American company. And you know, now now that cancels it as a source for truth because which one's true? Wow, really? So yeah. So so if you've got, you know, genetics or genetics or genetics, they don't change country to country. Why are, why did he get different results, you know, using the Chinese based company out of Beijing and and than he did in the American company. Hmm. Why do you think? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't. I don't speculate like that. Uh, I, I have no idea. I just. Uh, it's. It's just it's interesting, nonetheless. Yeah, it you is know, very like, interesting. Because that's one of the things. It, 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 your blood is a source for truth. There's only one truth with your blood. It's blood is blood. You know where you came from as a human being and your genetics and stuff like that. Well, you've got to look at the databases they have and what they're comparing and cross compiling data with. Right, and so that's very telling as to which databases they're using to cross-compile their data. Um, they're obviously not using the same databases, is what it tells me. You know, and so, you know, is there something nefarious going on? I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't think so. But it just uh, it just says to me that you know why waste your money on a service that can't give you the right information. I mean, I, I haven't done that stuff, but then of course I did the cancer thing. So uh, I was in cancer. Blood's out there no matter what. <laughs> and I was like, somebody take my DNA. Help me how to beat this shit. Thank you. 
Obviously, very, I'm very glad you did though. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I, I am too. Uh, I, I'm definitely uh, feeling much better these days. But um, yeah, the, the significant advancements that it's very interesting because there's this abundance of people trying to harness DNA technology in, in order to figure out, you know, like how much they have of this genetic type versus this nationality. But then you, you look at cancer patients and most of them are not even testing their DNA, right. even though we know that cancer is a DNA mutation. So there's like two radically different developing fields of DNA analysis. And I didn't see a lot of that in cancer. So I had to submit all of my stuff around to like six different companies to compile one big picture, which is fascinating to me. What's um, even more fascinating is there, there's no paperwork to sign in a hospital when you give up your blood that states where they can give your blood to. And I find that to be really interesting because who's making money on the third party data of your blood inside of the hospital when you give up your blood? And so it's, it, these are privacy concerns I think about. I think about the things that, that people don't normally think about. And I think about how to defend that for people. Yeah. You, know, um, you know, that's why we, my company developed our, the Obelisk One phone. Uh, yes, to, tell me about that because- um, Yeah, for those that's- before you start, let me just tell anybody who's listening who may be following that um, I have been involved in the formation about 18 months ago of the John McAfee Foundation, which will be coming out of stealth pretty soon. Um, and one of the, the really, really interesting parts of doing something like this in John's memory is trying to tap into the latest and greatest interesting cybersecurity-esque projects that are available on the market to protect the organization's privacy, right? And so um, I thought it was really interesting that I came across you talking about your company's development of this phone and its capabilities, because I really am very impressed with what you guys have built. And I think John would have been too. So tell me a little bit about- well, Actually, John knew about, John knew about the project. Yeah. We, talk, we talked about it in depth a long time ago, but I I, kinda, I looked at the world as a whole and how we do, operate and do things on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Mobile phones are a really scary threat vector at the end of the day, because it's just so broad. But what you have now is you, you buy a phone, and that phone is completely open. It's up to you to learn defense, which is insane. So what we did is we completely flipped it and you get a phone that is completely locked down and it's up to you to open up yourself to the world, to your level of comfort, which is very refreshing. Yeah, a lot of people, you, know, you get a device that's completely open to the world. You, you, there's nobody out there that's going to learn security overnight on how to defend themselves with a device that's connected to the internet 24 seven. Mm -hmm. It's not possible. So why, why does it continue to happen? Uh, it continues to happen because companies make a lot of money off of your data, which is found day to day off of a phone. They also make a lot of money by you buying a new battery and a new camera every year. It's really not a different phone, just new camera, and new battery. Um, we we decided to change all that. We decided to offer a solution to people who are privacy centered uh, and, and create a real true private communications device. Um, is it is it like evildoer level uh, privacy and security? No, I mean, it, it does have its it does have its back doors. It does have, you know, and, and you have to in this day and age, there's no there's no creating a one solution that is completely off limits to every reach of every national state organization on the planet. It's just not possible. Okay, when when those organizations own the chip manufacturing, uh, you know, you get a lot of people. They sell these phones where it's like a degooled phone, and they're selling it to you on a Google Pixel Four. Yeah. Um, it's 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 laughable, right? And and so we we saw what was going the, the direction everybody was going. You had a lot of these political influencers which were pushing a lot of these like freedom phones and stuff like that, and um, they just simply weren't what what they said they were. And so we looked at that and said, okay, let's let's go ahead and do this. It's it's I will say in my thirty years, this is the hardest project I've ever worked on. Yeah, you know, and uh, but we did, and, and we've got a lot of leeway. We've got a lot of access. Uh, to a lot of um, software utilities, which are patented by federally funded research and development centers. And those software utilities have never seen the light of day. But these are utilities that directly affect your privacy on a day-to-day -day basis, as well as your safety. 
have, uh, for instance, there's there's a structured T, what's called a, a trusted exec execution environment that runs in parallel to the operating system and monitors your operating system in real time. So if any malicious code or any phishing activities or any spyware malware gets onto your phone, it rips it out of the phone in real time. So it is playing defense for you in real time. Now, this is something that's been sitting dormant as a patent for 15 years. We just discovered it and, uh, and we're able to successfully have the patent just transferred to us. And now we're implementing it into the operating system currently. Um, so now you've got a little, a little automated AI hacker playing defense in your pocket for you, uh, which is pretty cool. It's, it's a unique way of, of using automated systems um, as well as uh, threat signature systems and stuff like that. So it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's really interesting when you're, when you're designing privacy for people, because, you know, you get to really learn you know, who trusts who and how easily people trust things and, uh, you know, be skeptical. Don't trust everything. You know, like I don't want you to trust my OS. I want you to try and poke holes in it because that just makes us better. Yeah. 100%. So, you know, like we're, we're trying to be a champion of privacy for the people. And then, you know, so far that's the reaction I'm getting back from people. I get a lot of thank yous and accolades in that, that regard. So that's amazing. Know, it makes us wake up every day and, and continue doing what we do. It's, it's not an easy job. Uh, it's long hours, mm -hmm. uh, very long hours, but, uh, but we, we get the job done. That's amazing. So what in, besides, you know, obviously seeing what's out there in the market, um, what compelled you? Is it more, do you think that there's more consumer interest in privacy? Like what compelled you guys to go so hard in this direction? Because some people will be like, oh, you know, Samsung phones are so amazing and iPhones so amazing. It's hard to replace those. Right. But I think that people are actually getting a little tired out by some of these, right? Like, we get now the extent of what they can do almost. <laughs> I think people are, people are learning that they were lied to. You know, people don't like to be lied to. It's, it's fact of life, you know, and Samsung lies to you. The Samsung Knox security program has been cracked every single year. Every single new phone, it gets cracked. And Samsung had a licensing agreement with Qualcomm, which blocked innovation and, and advancement for the mobile industry as a whole because of the Knox program. See, Knox lives on this sector of the system of the chip called EL2. And no other mobile company is allowed to have access to EL2 uh, because of Samsung's licensing agreement with Qualcomm. And so the only other thing that lives on EL2 is hyperthreading and virtualization, which are two key components in creating multi-OS environments or uh, you know, true dual system operating environments where you can have a phone that runs a business version of Android as well as a personal version of Android. So you can separate the two things on one device. Um, Samsung blocked all of that kind of innovation. And that's why you've just gotten sold a new camera, a new battery uh, every year. And, um, you know, you have to look at, you have to look at the end of the day. I mean, this is a company that in 2021 in Q4 of 2021 did 71 billion in mobile handset sales in just North America. Um, they have no interest in innovation or advancement because they're making billions of dollars off of cameras and batteries and, you know, make hay while the sun shines. You know, I, I think it's, probably time that that sun sets, but uh, only time will tell. Yeah, I think we've come out of this first period of innovation, you know, from from the early 2000s all the way through the, you know, 2020s, where we got these technologies, what, 2009, 2010, we've only had them really 10 years, 12 years, right? So now we're starting to get into that that next phase, right? That well, I think the boredom has come out of it. See, boredom is the yeah. reaper of innovation. So I think now that the boredom has subsided, people are starting to look at, you know, like I said earlier, the mother of invention is necessity. Mm -hmm. Well, people are starting to realize that there's a necessity for something else. And, and it's really cool to see, um, you know, it, it's just people really need to scale their intent. And what I mean by that is, is you can't, you can't abuse, see, users want to be used. They don't want to be they want they don't want to be abused, right? And so when you abuse your users by selling their their third party data by, you know, uh, lying to them outright, uh, that's where you've gone wrong. Uh, and I think a lot of people are starting to really pick up on that. You know, uh, that's where you're going to have people creating new options. You know, right now in the mobile industry, you've got two options for for powering your device. You've got Qualcomm or you've got MediaTek. There's 
you know, Google does their own thing, but they don't make it available to anybody else. So it's, it's, you've really only got two options. And one of the options has been hacked so ruthlessly that it's not really an option at the end of the day. So what does that leave you with? And, you know, it leaves you with, with a, you know, very powerful solution of you know, Qualcomm. They are, they are really, really good. Um, as long as you trust them. So it's, you know, it's, uh, at the end of the day, it's, you don't have a choice. Yeah, and that that I think for this alpha generation, um, like my son, you know, they're they're actually becoming very antagonistic toward advertisement in general and this being constantly sold. And they're so much more aware of it than I was at 12, 13 years old. I mean, he's constantly comes in and tells me, Mom, so and so YouTube tried to advertise me for this, this, and this. And that doesn't make any sense. I'm not into that. And I don't know why, you know, and it's like this adversarial annoyance, right? I think advertisers are going to have a lot of work to do to try to reclaim that attention market. Well, yes and no, because uh, on a whole, on the advertisement side of things, when you spin somebody up into a position, so when you bombard them to the point where they're annoyed, right? So they're spun up. Mm. That's when they're more apt to make rash decisions. So when you've got people who are of the buying age being bombarded to the point where it's annoyance, they now make a rash decision to just buy something. Wow. And that's the intent of the advertisement as a whole. So it's it's doing its job. I just think they need to do better. Oh, I it's exhausting. I, I hate advertisements in general. I always have. They're so distracting and they drive me nuts. But it I never imagined that my kids would also because we don't really vocalize it. They would always say right. well, I mean, it's interesting to hear that he's vocalizing, but there's also there are utilities out there that that you know do their best to limit the advertisements that you'll see. One of them is like Brave Browser, a privacy browser. That you can use and it, and it does a very good job recently there was an interesting change of events they, they removed all of the advertising blocking from chrome mm. uh, it was an interesting choice uh, by google uh, after being a proponent of privacy and security for all these years they remove yeah. your yeah that blocking. whole do no that whole do no evil thing didn't uh didn't really transpire. So, no, it lasted you know, well. <laughs> got a couple years out of that, I think, and then uh, we kind of went in a different direction. Mm. Uh, well, good. Well, I, I have a couple quick questions for you because I know we're wrapping up on time. So, let's get big picture for a minute. Um, you were talking a little bit about like the miss early on about like the misconceptions about hackers, right? And and that word even being a loaded term. Demonized. Yes. So what do you see the role of hackers in society evolving over time? Well, they've evolutionized, you know, to the point where they've gotten to become the immune system of the internet. I love that. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, these are, they like to say, you know, I like to say a chef is probably the most thankless job on the planet, but a hacker, a true hacker is the second most thankless job on the planet because most of the time we'll find holes in systems, we'll find data that's exposed or, uh, you know, faults here and there. And, and it gets fixed because we expose it quietly to uh, to the offending party. And, and it's not always about, uh, you know, the, the media demonizes the term because it's sensationalizing it. And, and that's wrong. Um, you know, hackers are a necessity. You know, without them, you wouldn't want to be on the internet without them, put it that way. Uh, but all of it's done in the shadows. All of it's done without you know, the, the accolades, you know, you're not hearing it shouted from the rooftops. You're only hearing the, the, the bad side shouted from the rooftops. You know, there's a difference between a hacker and a criminal hacker. And that's the distinction that really, you know, we live in this so nuanced world. I think, I think that's the distinction that people really need to start making because, you know, what's the difference between a hacker and a cybersecurity professional is his age. You know, between the ages of like 13 and 20, you're a hacker. But after 20, when you're out in the real world getting a real job, you're a cybersecurity professional. Yeah. That's that's really that's the that's the truth, and that's the truth. You know, at the end of the day, that's that's what it is. Yeah, and uh, I just think the media has, has done a really great job of demonizing the term, and that that makes people fearful. When you make people fearful, that sells subscriptions. Hundred percent. It's been fueling the media for decades. Um, so what advice would you give if you're, you know, one of these Gen Alpha or Gen Z kids that, uh, you know, is curious about this stuff and they want to be an ethical hacker? Where, how do they get started? What Go to Def Con. Have your parents take you to Vegas every year. I know it's so, it's so cool, right? It's like, you, know, you get, one, you get to go to Las Vegas before you're 21, but uh, go to Def Con because there's, there's so much opportunity there that will 
continue year after year after year, opening up you to blossom into a real career. Um, you know, if you're serious about cybersecurity, uh, you know, there, there are U.S. government programs which are open to you. Um, you know, there, DEF CON opens up every year Hackasat, which allows you to actually hack a sat a satellite in real life. And so there's, there's, you will learn so much by going to these, uh, these conferences and, and they're open to all ages and they're safe. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the one time of year that everybody in Vegas is scared to turn on Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, that's that's really it for these young kids. That's really where if you're interested, you want to get your feet wet, that's where I would go. Um, you know, uh, it's a safe place. For, it was a very for interesting uh, experience going to DEF CON. I went with McAfee in 2016 and we hosted a uh, massive open bar party for oh at the Hustlers Club. The Larry Flint Hustlers that's Club. Very, that's very John McAfee. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I put that together with a couple of great teams on the ground in uh, Las Vegas. And we did an open bar for four hours for anybody who wanted to come in. And it was packed. And I never had truly realized, you know, because John was just John. He was my client and knew somebody worked. Right. Um, and I never really realized the impact he had on the, that industry until he walked in there like a literal demigod. It was he, well, he 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 was thing I mean, I've ever seen. <laughs> he's, the, he's the godfather of antivirus. He was. So, I did. I know, but I didn't put it together. Yeah. You want to understand the antivirus world? In order to, to in order to be able to defend against antivirus, you know, viruses, you've got to create viruses. Mm -hmm. So. John was a literal legend, uh, created the very first virus and created the first antivirus. I mean, uh, he never stopped. It was, yeah, um, we got a man. quick, dirty, fast education on cell phones, though, because he did. He was like, you will not get put on. What do they call it? The wall of sheep? Or well, the, 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 the wall of sheep. Yeah, he's like, none of my team is going to be on there. So here's yeah. your. You know, I, I will say I'm very, I'm very fortunate. Uh, we've we've now had an obelisk ones throughout all Black Hat and and DEF CON for the past few years, and That's amazing. Uh, we've logged countless attempts um, of people trying to break into them, and and it was a really cool way to vet uh, our work. Really, you know, uh, do okay. I do I think that we're perfect? No, absolutely not. Yeah, you know, there's always going to be some 13 year old from Romania or somewhere out there who's going to be able to breach our security. It's just a fact of life. It's the way it is. But uh, it's how you deal with those those breaches when it happens uh, that, that speaks volumes. And so, you know, we, we're, we're active in the community. We, we meet with hackers on a daily basis. Um, you know, and it makes us better. And that's what that's what companies should, should be doing. You know, uh, you've got a lot of companies out there that don't self-report. Uh, on breaches and you know, it's it's an interesting space i agree i agree well i appreciate you so much for taking the time there is a massive storm going on outside my window and we didn't lose power this time amazing we did it finally thank you yes we did thank you very so much, for much. Having this has been great. yes thank you so much for your time and i look forward to having you back and we'll dive even deeper on some of these issues in the future so I appreciate your time so much. Thank you again for everything you do for this country to keep the the all the systems that we trust or want to trust safe. And we do appreciate it. And I definitely do. So thank you. And we will talk again very soon.